Hey there, Elise here, host of Let's Break the Odds podcast, the place to help you break the odds and walk confidently into your God-given purpose. Think of this show as your regular coffee chat, where we talk about life, career, and legacy. As an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and speaker, I'll be bringing on industry leaders, professionals, and individuals to join us as they share their stories of breaking the odds to help you and to help us reach the next level in our life, family, career, and communities. Let's do this together. This is Let's Break the Odds podcast. Hey there, Elise here, host of Let's Break the Odds podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. As you know, we like to describe this show as like your regular chat where we talk about life, career, and legacy. And today we have someone joining the conversation, and that person is Pastor John. Earlier this year, someone I know heard Pastor John's story and shared with me verbally a snippet of his story. And you guys, today, Pastor John is joining us on the show where he shares with us his story of the life-changing encounter he had with God seconds before attempting to end his life and how the Lord has helped him break the odds ever since. Before we dive in with the conversation with Pastor John, let me share with you a little bit about him, which you will hear more about during our conversation. Pastor John is a United States veteran whose best friends died while they were serving overseas together. After his best friends died, Pastor John struggled with PTSD, substance abuse, and as he described, the voice of death that would not go away. After struggling for over 10 years, he decided that he would end his life. Seconds before attempting to do so, he had a life-changing encounter with God. Today, Pastor John tells the world of his story of how Jesus set him free. And so with that, let's dive in with the conversation with Pastor John. Here we go. Thank you for being here. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Fantastic. So I'm not going to say too much. I'm kind of just going to let you, you know, take it from here in terms of sharing your testimony, and then we can have some discussion about it afterwards. But really, I just want to, the floor is yours. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I was born in Delaware. I was a seventh of an eighth child and a very, very poor family. Um, we, we knew about God. We were a God-believing family, but that we went to church for weddings and funerals. Um, but one of the interesting things that when I was little, my dad would make all the kids come in, all eight of us, and gather around the radio or the TV and listen to Billy Graham. I'll never forget that. And also, if the president was speaking, he said uh, he would call us in and say, listen, uh, because what they say is important and can affect your life. So I never really went to, oh, I was not a church attender. Um, we were a very poor family. I'll share with you how poor we are, or were, is the first toothbrush I ever had was my first day in Marine Corps boot camp. When they issued me a toothbrush with toothpaste, First time I ever tasted toothpaste was the first day in boot camp, and I squeezed it in my mouth and um, tasted so good I squeezed the whole thing in there. I laugh at that now, and people say you can't be that poor, but that's how poor we really were. So anyway, I joined the Marine Corps after I got out of high school. Um, all of my brothers had joined the service, and so it was a natural thing for us to do. We there was no way financially any of us could ever dreamed about going to college, and so I joined the Marine Corps. I was 18 years old. I went to Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, so I, I made it through boot camp fine. And uh, I went into counterintelligence right out of boot camp. Uh, in fact, I was the last one out of boot camp because I'd wait for these people to come get me. 
they uh, said I'd scored real high on an IQ test and they were going to put me in counterintelligence. And so this was in 1962. And so I immediately went into what they would call counterintelligence. And um, first I started out as a clerk, then I started out as an investigator, then I, then I moved into the spy category. Um, in 1967, I went into the admin office and I said, I need to go to Vietnam. I said, uh, uh, I want to go to the war. There's only what we got now. And by the way, I had no spiritual thing at all at this time. Okay. So I go over to Vietnam and uh, by the way, there's nothing, nothing good about war, but anyway, so when I went to Vietnam, they put me in charge of a program in a little village down in uh it was called Hoi An and uh, about 40 miles south of Da Nang. It was a small compound. Now, I didn't stay there at night because it was too dangerous. So I would go back to the embassy, which was in Hoi An City. They had a concert hut there where I would sleep at night. And there was about, there was eight other GIs, Marines, whatever, staying there. And that's where I would go at night because where I was working at was too dangerous. And um, so... One morning, I decided that, well, they had asked me the night before. I was playing, we were playing cards together, and the, the people did not know what I did, by the way. I was working in civilian clothes. They had no idea that um, uh, what I did. But they said, hey, John, you want to go out? Uh, we're going to go down to the beach, and we're going to test fire our weapons out in the ocean. And it was custom, even though I didn't have to do that. It was a custom once a month. They'd take these 50 caliber machine guns down, and we'd go down to... Uh, the ocean and they'd test fire them. I had, um, I had never went and so they invited me to go. And so I said, okay, I'll go. And something happened, I don't know exactly why. I overslept. When I did wake up, I ran into the part where the guys were, my friends, the only friends I had, my best friends at that time. And the truck that they had already taken the machine guns down and loaded them in the back of a, a, a truck. And well, I said, wait for me, you know, and I go grab my gun and I'm getting ready to step on the back of this, uh, um, it's called a personnel carrier. Uh, not a, it could hold about 10, 15 people and, uh, and that would be about it. And just as I stepped to get on the truck, one of my interpreters from Hoi An, from my office, came running in to the compound and said, die we forward, die we forward, don't go, don't go, important message. And all of my friends said, ah, don't worry about that. We'll be back in an hour, you can handle it then. But the interpreter grabbed my hand in such a way, he was had fear all over him. He wouldn't let go. And so finally I jumped off the truck and I told the guys, hey guys, see you later. We'll do it, I'll do it the next time. And so I go into this office with my interpreter and he is uh, telling me he's got the, the message in Vietnamese, but he's, telling, he's reading it to me and I'm on the phone. And we're trying to call in coordinates to where there's gonna be a, an attack. And I guess it was about 10 minutes into doing that. I heard a loud explosion. Nothing really set in exactly too much with me because there was this war. But about 10 minutes later, I'll never forget it. This uh, lieutenant came running into the office and he said, did you hear that? I said, yeah, I heard that. He said, they're all dead. They're all dead. I said, what do you mean they're all dead? He said, Everybody you sleep with in here, they're all dead. And you know, I just couldn't believe what they said. 
And uh, I went down with the Marine Corps squad. And it was about when that truck pulled out of the compound, it made a right turn. And uh, 10 minutes down the road, they ran over a little culvert and the enemy had come in and, and, and bombed there or set a, a bomb in there. When the truck ran over that culvert, it exploded and blew the truck into little tiny pieces. So I go down there, it's still hard. Even today, I go down there and there's just a big hole in the ground. The biggest part of the truck was a spare tire. And all of a sudden out in the field, I started seeing hands and feet and heads. Excuse me. It's okay. Take all the time you need. Anyway, I helped. Somebody came by and gave me a paper, a plastic bag and said, do you want to help us pick up the parts? And so I'm out in this rice paddy picking up parts of my best friends. And while I was doing that, death attacked me and said, you should have been on that truck. You should be dead. I'm going to get you. You're never going to go home. Anyway, I ran from that hole in, in the ground and got back to the compound. I got a bottle of whiskey and I locked myself in a room. Three days later, I came out of that room and they were holding a memorial service for my friends. And I didn't know exactly what was going on because nothing made sense at this time. He's talking about a God, you know, and all my friends are dead. And um, this voice would never leave me alone. I tried to out drink it, out anything. I tried to lay down at night, couldn't sleep. And it kept saying, I'm going to get you. You're going to be a dead piece of meat out in a rice paddy. You'll never see your loved ones again. And I didn't know what to do. And um, I just, it got, hit me so bad, I really couldn't do my work. And um, I asked to go back to Da Nang and I, I worked in an office for a while. And it was, a, back then you couldn't tell people what was going on in your mind as you can now. They didn't have PTSD back there. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't tell people what was happening. You couldn't sleep and you couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, well, as long as I can go, I want to make sure you understand exactly what happened because it's unbelievable. It, I really did break the odds. I, in 1968, I finally made it back uh, to America. First thing I did when I got off the airplane was kiss the ground because America is the greatest country in the world. And um, I was transferred to another counterintelligence team over on the East Coast in North Carolina. And for the next few years, the next four years, I had these horrible nightmares, but I hit them. At night I drank. I had to be around someone. I had to have somebody near me. I had to have somebody with skin on, but I could still go back to that I don't want to grow. Anyway, death kept haunting me and haunting me. And um, I left out the part that, you know, I was married to Marine Corps. 
when I got back to America, I hadn't had any kids yet, but the nightmares were just driving my wife crazy and me crazy. I am transferred to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And um, I mean, other than nighttime, you know, I would think I'm going to be okay. I could drown it out or do this or do that. Anyway, we had a ticker tape machine back then. I didn't have anything we have right now. And I was, and the ticker tape machine was always constantly running, and I could hear the ticker tape going, and it said, Warren Officer Ford transferred to South Vietnam. And I knew that was me at that time. And I kept saying, I can't go back there. I'll never go back there. So I called you know, my superiors and I said, I had become an officer, by the way. They said I did something great in the war, but I really did. And I called, being an officer, you can resign. You don't, you can resign anytime, you just give them. So I said, look, I'm gonna resign. This is after 10 years in the military. I don't, I, you know, I said, they've ordered me back to Vietnam and he never knew what was happening in my life. I hit it pretty well, really, except at nighttime. And I said, if you can get me that change and keep me in, in, in America, I'll stay in. If not, I'm resigning. But he said, I can't get that change. I said, okay. So 1972, I re resigned from the service and went back to my hometown. And um, I went to work for uh, the Prudential Insurance Company. And um, One day, after working for the insurance company up until about 1976, well, I still exactly remember exactly when, but I I carried a flask in my pocket. I carried Valium, any kind of thing I could do because it would always death. Here it is, almost 10 years later, and they're still saying, I'm going to get you. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do that. So one day, I I go into my office and I'm sitting down at the desk and the other insurance agents are there and everything like that. And all of a sudden I couldn't catch my breath. Anyway, um, the voice in my head kept saying, I got you. I told you I'd get you. And I was so frightened. And I ran out of the office and I got into my car and I couldn't catch my breath. So I rolled the window down and tried to blow wind in. I finally got to my house and my wife come running out. She saw me and she called an ambulance. And they took me to the hospital. And the doctor said, you had a complete nervous breakdown. And he gave me pills, on pills. I lost my job. I'm sorry. Oh no, don't apologize. Anyway, um, I lost my job, I lost the house, I lost everything. 
by now and had a wife and three kids. And I moved into a little welfare home, two bedrooms, one bath, and I still tried to wrestle him. I had nightmares so bad that I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd wake everybody up yelling, I'm dying, I'm dying. Somebody help me, somebody help me. And I would be coated with sweat. I was driving everybody crazy. Not only me, but my whole family. And so anyway, 1976 comes around. I've lost everything. I'm in this welfare home. Don't have a job. Anyway, I got up one morning. By the way, I was drinking every day, all day. So it's amazing when you don't have any money, you still get something to drink. And then you take anxiety pills. And I've been going to a psychiatrist and they were giving me electric shock treatments, biting on this, and they tried everything. So I get up one morning and I'm out in the kitchen. I'm sitting in the kitchen here today. And this voice kept saying, when are you gonna give up? I've got you. I'm 33 years old. I said, you win. I said, I'm going to take my life today. I'm going to kill myself today. It all ends now. And I went and I sat down on the step out in front of this little house. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to end my life. And while I'm sitting there, you know, thinking about killing myself, a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Uh, pulls into my yard and this great big guy hops off the motorcycle takes his Darth Vader helmet off and he said I was just riding by and I saw you setting on that step and God told me to tell you not to do what you're going to do. He needs you. And I looked up at him and I cussed him out. I called him every name in the book. I said, get away from me. I don't want nothing to do with God. He pulled his motorcycle out on the street. He said, you can't ask me to leave off the street. I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. And that is, don't do what you think you're going to do, God needs you. This guy's name is Wayne Mars. He, he went to heaven last year. One of the greatest witnesses for Christ I ever knew. But even though I cussed him out, he came back. He kept talking about this Jesus that I didn't know. I really didn't. I didn't. And he kept saying, by the way, he bought me groceries to make sure we had something to eat. At this time, this is how I am, right? Shaking like this all day long. That's me at 33. He says, you ever painted a house before? I said, no. 
I said, would you paint mine? I said, I never painted. I said, I can't. He said, look, he lived by on the good side of the street, way down from me. And um, so I said, okay. I agreed. I'll, I'll go and uh, I'll, I'll paint you. I said, he said, come on down here in the morning. I'll tell you what I want you to do. And then you do it. And he said, well, I'll come home at 12 and check on you every day. And so, you know, with my pills and the paintbrush, this is a beautiful home, by the way. I never, he would come home every day at noon and he got out of the car with his big Bible. And he would look up and he said, you keep painting. I want to read something to you. And every day, this is what happened. And it was a Saturday night. I came down from the house. Again, he said, have you ever thought about what I told you? Not to do what you were thinking. He said, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know, but God needs you. And I shook my head at him and said, no, no, no. So I walked down the street. I don't know how far it was. I finally get to my house and I walk into the bedroom and I drop down on my knees and I say, Jesus, if you're real help, if my wife was here now, she would tell you, by the way, she wasn't aware near me at the time. She thought I was going nuts. I don't blame everybody. It sounded like I was nuts. Anyway, I crawled up in that bed that night for the first time in nine years. I slept all night long. When I got up the next morning, my I was like in a fog. And this new voice inside of me kept saying, you ought to go to church. I'm not going to church. That ruined my reputation. You know how you're thinking about things like that. But he said, you ought to go. So I said, I think I'll go down to that church you know, where the guy on the motorcycle went. And so I waited. I looked down. He came running by. He was going to church. So even though I didn't have my driver's license or anything, I did hop in a car and go to church. To tell you how it was, I took a six-pack of beer and two packs of cigarettes to church the first time I went. They had a drive-in church. So I thought, I'll go into drive-in church. I won't have to get out of the car. Nobody will know anything. But who's meet me at the church? It's running, and he's giving out bulletins into my car. I pull my car up and in the parking lot, and he says, now, my preacher's going to come out here, and he's going to, you listen to what he says. And, uh, you know, I think if I remember, right, okay, I don't know, you know. And the preacher comes out there, and he's talking about something that I can't understand. And then he said, Everybody in drive-in church, you're invited to come in to church to our main service. And I said, I am never going in there. One thing I'll never do is I'll never go in there. And this voice inside of me, you know, it says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I got out of that car. I walked three steps with my beer. I thought they're not going to let me in there, but that, so my back. And I walked into the church and to prove I didn't know what I was doing, I went up and sat in the front row. I didn't know what I was doing. This pastor comes up and he starts singing. Jesus, Jesus, he is the son of God. Jesus, Jesus, the precious son of God. In one part of the sermon that he was 
preaching, he pointed around me and says, and he came to says, you three. And this was the first time this guy had ever seen me. And it was like, bam. And I can tell you, and I've told people for the last 45 years, when I walked out of that church, I walked into a brand new world. The flowers were blooming for me. The birds were singing for me. The grass was green for me. And uh, as I'm leaving church, my first pastor, he handed me a Bible. I didn't have one. He said, I want you to read this. I said, I want you to start reading it in the Gospel of John. He showed me. He said, you haven't read it. Well, you know, I had carried a Bible around I mean, before. The Gideon Bible I got in the Marine Corps. But nothing ever made sense to me. It was who begot what, what begot who, Elijah this, Elijah that, whatever. But it was different now. And I started reading. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word become flesh and dwelt among us. And right there, just a couple of days old in the Lord, the Holy Spirit told me, Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I went home that day and I walked in the house. My wife came out and she said, what in the world has happened to you? I said, you know what? I don't know, but I do know this. If I die, I'm going to heaven. And I sat down and I'm reading the gospel of John and I come to John 11 where it says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay. If you believe in, you'll never die. And all of a sudden, for some reason, everybody would have thought I was nuts. I held that my Bible open and I said, death, where are you at? I want to tell you something. I want to show you something. And I read John 11, I think 24 and 25 or whatever it is, out loud. And right then and there, I knew that my, I'd never be the same, that my fight was over. So I called my pastor. Well, first, before let me tell you, before I called that pastor back, I sat down in this chair after I read John through chapter 11. And God said, I want you to tell the world what I've done for you. And I said, yes, that's what I do. And I, my coffee table in that house was filled with pills, you name it, cigarettes, everything. I got on my knees and told that I don't need these anymore. I've got you. And I said, if I die, I'm going to heaven. And if I live, I'm going to tell the world about you. Anyway, I knew my life had changed. Everybody in the church knew my life was changed. Of course, you know, they thought I was a little crazy because, you know, I don't think many people in the church knew that Jesus was God. But that first church I ever went to, the pastor, I was always talking about Jesus. He said, you know, I told him, I said, God's called me to preach. I know it. And he said, John, don't you think you should read the whole Bible first? And I agreed anyway. He put a, he gave me a, I think it was that time, about a 72 year old lady, a graceful God, godly lady. And she took me through the Bible that first year. And the next year I went to Bible college. And four years is somebody that couldn't walk and talk. Okay. I graduated magna cum laude from Bible college and went out into the ministry. Later, I finished to go to seminary, okay? And um, 
God has allowed me to introduce thousands to the Lord. I mean, right now on the East Coast, up and down the East Coast, there are people that God allowed me to take out of bars and, and things, and, and they're in the ministry, or the guy and his wife are singing about the Lord. I, you know, it's so long, 45 years, who knows how many people know Jesus? All because one, one man stopped by and obeyed God. So my testimony is simply this. God's real. If you're one of his children, he talks to you. You can hear him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And that the greatest thing that can ever happen in your life on earth and in the life to come is Jesus. And I pastored churches all up and down the East Coast. I was on the PTL club at one time, sharing my testimony. I'd like to say, I have no idea how many people are, are in, the, in the church today because of what Jesus did really because of what one man did. And if Wayne was here today, and he's rejoicing in heaven, he would say, I, I asked him, I said, Wayne, why in the world did you stop? And he said, when God tells you to do something, you do it. Like I said, I've told that all over the world. Um, it's amazing how the voice of death left after Jesus came in. I have never worried about dying since the very moment on that night when I got on my knees. And I said, my, his, this was my salvation prayer. I didn't ask for my sins to be forgiven or anything. Of course, I have many times since then, but I said, Jesus, if you're real help. And my life was changed. I became a new person. The people in Dover, Delaware couldn't believe it. That's my story. First of all, I just want to first say, just thank you for your service, first of all. Um, Oh, I, lo I, I love the Marine Corps. I did, really. And the Army. But good. Yeah. I just wanted to, first of all, just say that and just to thank you for your service. And I just got to say, I'm just so moved by your testimony because, you know, and I'm brought to tears so many times throughout your testimony just because I can definitely attest to the fact that, like, God is so real. And when it's just, it's something that you just can't explain. And I know a lot of people... God just seems like a foreign thing in their life. And it's like, oh, how can you hear from God or hear God speak to you? Or how can you have that? But it's just something that just can't be explained until you experience it for yourself. And I agree a thousand percent, like your life is never the same. And, um, and I'm just really moved by it. And just thank you for sharing your testimony. And so I want to ask you just for some listeners who might be listening, and maybe this is God is not, maybe they're where you were in your life where you said you never really knew much about guys if we're going to church during the holidays and, you That's know, right. God wasn't really a big part of your life. What would you say to someone who maybe just, you know, doesn't know about God and maybe they're in a point in your life like you felt where they just felt like they're in bondage to that negative voice? I have to be very careful what I say. I can, you know, and, and I want to say this. If you're addicted to something, you don't realize that, that Jesus can deliver you from that addiction. But I know there's a lot of people just like me. I, like I was so addicted to, to everything that um, what I would just say that there's nothing, no sin that Jesus can't forgive. No life that he cannot renew and restore. I don't care what you've done, what you've said, how miserable you were like me. Jesus can make you a new person today or right now. All you got to do is be serious. I would just say, 
if you want the most wonderful life that you can have, ask Jesus to forgive your sins, come and live in your life, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. Yes. I just love how your story is how you God has helped you break the odds, literally break those chains in your life. And you're just like wanting just to share just what all God has done in your life and what people set free, just like he set you free. And I just love that. And so I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I want to thank you so much for just sharing your testimony and being so vulnerable. Um, you know, we, we like to say this is a safe space. And so I just want to thank you for um, just being so transparent with your story. And um, is there anything, any final words you'd like to say to our audience, anything of encouragement or hope to someone, uh, maybe someone who, you know, might be feeling like, you know, they might want to want to be like how you felt sitting on your front porch you know how what would you say is a message of hope to someone today first don't play around with god okay first i would do that i don't know what else to say i love the lord i hope that i've helped someone i really was you know seconds maybe a minute from dying 45 years ago Oh, it's yeah. been wonderful to you. I, you know, I feel blessed. I thank you for letting me share this with you. And if anybody here gets a chance to hear this, I just want them to know that Jesus is real, that he really loves them. He's got a plan for their life that they can't even dream about uh, without him. You know, a lot of people accept good rather than the best. And with Jesus, you get the best. Wow. I don't know about you, but I was so touched by Pastor John's story and, and I even had to grab a tissue while hearing it. You know, one thing that Pastor John said while sharing his testimony with us is he said, and I quote, it's amazing how the voice of death left after Jesus came in. I have never worried about dying since the very moment that night when I got on my knees. And he continued by saying, quote, I said, Jesus, if you're real help. And my life was changed. I became a new person. Then Pastor John further shared, quote, there's nothing, no sin that Jesus can't forgive, no life he cannot renew and restore. I don't care what you've done, what you've said, how miserable you were like me. Jesus can make you a new person today, right now. All you've got to do is be serious. I would just say, if you want the most wonderful life, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come and live in your life, Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. What was your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Pastor John? How will you take action towards moving forward? We'd love to know. This community is called Let's Break the Odds. And the word let's is short for let us, which means that you are not alone. Follow Break the Odds on social media and tag us. And use hashtag Let's Break the Odds so we can celebrate with you as you take action. And on behalf of the show, we would like to take a moment and say thank you to all of the men and women and family members for your sacrifice to serve our country. And on that note, stay tuned to hear more inspiring conversations on the show from industry leaders, professionals, and individuals on the show as they share their stories to help you reach the next level in your life, family, career, and communities. You don't want to miss them, so make sure you're subscribed to the show. 
hit that subscribe button, share with a friend, and I'll see you in the next episode. Let's break the odds together. Hey, guess what? You, my friend, made it through today's episode. Cue the confetti. But the conversation doesn't have to end here. If this episode served you today, go ahead and download it so you can have it. And click the subscribe button so you can get notified when another episode is released. Do us a favor and leave a review. We'd love to hear how much you enjoyed this episode. To stay connected, we'd love to have you as a part of the Let's Break the Odds community on social media. There we'll have an opportunity to personally connect with you and cheer you on as you take action towards breaking the odds in your life. You can catch the show notes from this episode and any discount codes and bonus materials on the blog at letsbreaktheodds.com. See you next time.